Welcome to the 36th episode of the No Degree Podcast. This is your host, Janai Ball, and today's guest is Blake Resnick. Please excuse any audio issues as there were some technical difficulties during the recording of the session. Blake always worked hard and followed his passions. He got into college at the age of 14. He got internships at McLaren, Tesla, and DJI. He realized that college would only hold him back and would prevent him from growing his drone company. Through creative strategies, he was able to secure some high-profile clients. Listen to learn how he established his drone company. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash no degree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show isn't possible without you. Let's get this show started. So, Blake, do you mind introducing yourself to the audience? My name is Blake Resnick. I'm the CEO and founder of Breakdowns. So what does your company do? What we're working on right now is uh, basically a, a small quadcopter designed to aid SWAT teams in hostage, barricade, and active shooter situations. Sort of with the, the general goal of preventing death in, in those types of uh, situations that the law enforcement has to deal with, uh, both on the part of officers, suspects, and just people in the surrounding area, which um, unfortunately tends to happen when you're talking about a, a SWAT collar type situation. How did you get into that? Initially, sort of the, the first product of, of our company was something that we called the Wall of Drones, which was, was basically a, a very large-scale uh, drone-based border security system with the general intent of like replacing something like a wall that at the time Trump was talking a lot about wanting to build. The whole thought there was like, could we build a modern wall like with modern technology and secure a border for a couple of orders of magnitude, less money and effort than like the 15th century uh, solution, which would be the wall uh, would take. That's sort of how all of this started. And we, we pursued that pretty far. We had meetings with very senior people uh, over at CBP. We did a couple of some demos and, and that whole thing. Ultimately, though, the FAA regulations sort of managing large numbers of unmanned systems operating in U.S. airspace wasn't, wasn't quite there yet. So that was going on. And uh, around a similar time, uh, the, the October 1 shooting also happened in, in Las Vegas, which was my, my hometown. My best friend was actually very close by at the time. And I, I got a call from him just a couple minutes after the, the shooting actually started. Ended up knowing some other people who were also there. Just, I don't know, I mean, it's sort of traumatizing when, when it hits your, your community. I mean, something else that you hear some, you know, some faraway cities dealing with this. But, um, yeah, I mean, when, when it happens to people you know and in your backyard, it tends to make a little bit more than that. And, that's really why we started working on our current project. October 1 inspired just the question, is, is there some modern technology that could help reduce the negative effects and, and the carnage of that sort of event in the future? That, that's what got started. So initially, when the FAA denied your request, what went through your mind? Yeah, it wasn't good. <laughs> I mean, we had a couple of years and uh, tremendous amounts of effort put into the project. And, I mean, I, I just speaking personally, like I, I was really proud of what we built. And I think it was a, it was a very advanced piece of technology. It was a hard road to realize that it probably wasn't going to be commercially viable today. And it's something that we struggled with a, a fair bit internally in the company before we decided, you know what, let's shift gears and see if we can make a difference in SWAT color. 
Now, would you say that shifting gears happened right away or it took some time? No, there was definitely a transition. I mean, we were thinking initially, like, maybe we'd even pivot a little bit more narrower to the wall of drones technology. So we were thinking about maybe securing oil pipelines. That was a thought with, with sort of similar drone tech. We thought about securing military bases, providing like early warnings if there was an incursion and some forward operating base. We thought about that pretty carefully. It was really hard to scale. There's like a, a pretty small organization. And I mean, I, I still, I still believe pretty fervently that the core ideas are correct and will, will mature and matter someday. But just we were, we were probably a couple of years early. After we sort of poked our heads into those markets a little bit, we finally decided, you know, like we, we wanted to build this walk around for a while since, since October one happened. We literally cold called actually the, the captain, the lieutenant in charge of Las Vegas SWAT team, which interestingly is, is one of the busiest SWAT teams in the United States. Uh, we, we brought them the old prototype, showed them off what we built, and we basically had a conversation about what, what would make sense in the context of a SWAT call. And from there, we, we wrote down a spec list and we realized we've done maybe 70% of the development work for it already on the wall of drones technology. And we said, yeah, I'll just give it a shot. So how do you call us a SWAT team? Yeah, no, it was a little weird. Surprisingly easy, actually. It's, it's amazing how many people you can actually get through just by cold calling. We looked up their phone number uh, on Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department's website. We didn't have a direct number to SWAT, but we had a number to their counterterrorism team, which is sort of the, the overarching group that SWAT's within. Um, we called that and we just we got put through. Let me tell you. Did you ever expect anything of the call? I don't know. You can sort of sweet talk people, right? Like after after I knew we got through uh, to the right folks in the team, we had enough interesting stuff going on. Like, yeah, I, I thought I thought we could definitely get coffee, you know. And that, that was the first step in the relationship. They ended up being a real development partner for us. They were there pretty much at every stage. I mean, before we even started the engineering on the drone to us testing, we actually called out with them around 20 times so far, a little over 20 times now to actually respond to SWAT callouts with their team. And it's been a great development partnership. That's definitely one thing we did right. So let's kind of take it back because you're 20 right now. You obviously went to college early. You didn't finish. So can you talk about what you want to be in high school? High school for me wasn't that long. I, I was in high school for, I mean, like about a year and a half, about a year and a half. And then my first semester, second year, I was actually taking college classes part time. So, yeah, I, I wasn't in high school for long. But by that stage, I definitely knew I wanted to be a technology founder. So you went to college at what, 13, 14? <laughs> yeah, something like that. When I first started, yeah. Okay. When you were in college, what sort of classes did you take? I was in a mechanical engineering group, starting with the basics, uh, some just humanities requirements, the basic stuff, calculus one, two, uh, those were sort of early classes that, that I took, all the normal like early mechanical engineering classes. How'd you finish high school so early? Because you must have done middle school fast too. too. Yeah, so I skipped I skipped one grade in middle school. So I skipped sixth grade. So I went to, from fifth to seventh. When I was in high school, I thought I could go a little faster. I mean, that's really what it was. I thought I could go a little faster. Ended up taking a GED. 
so I could get my like college degree handled. And then that's what enabled me to start taking classes at UNLV, which is my, my local university. You just did the GD right away. That's how you got to the college. Yeah. And, and it kind of funnily, like that's, that's my only formal academic credential as of, <laughs> as of today. So like GD and dropout. And yeah, that's pretty much it. You went to several colleges. What made you decide to leave? So that was pretty early on in the Wall of Drones project. At the time, remember, like this, this whole thing, we started because we thought we had a better solution to U.S. border control than like Donald Trump did with his 15th century wall. Yeah. So like, it, I felt a high level of urgency to get working on that project so we could pitch that to the right people in the government and, and to the Trump administration like before we got some massive appropriations bill through or for a wall, which I mean, obviously didn't happen, but at the time was plausible. That's really what did it. It was feeling the urgency of like really having to get this technology done uh, while there was a window for it in the United States and realizing that like, if I just went through my degree and didn't really start focusing on this company now, that opportunity would go away. That was really the major impetus to transition away from college and to How'd you get started? Because it's not just like, hey, I'm going to build a drone. It's a lot of research, mistakes, talking to people. My mom likes to tell the story. Um, I don't know. I was, I was pretty young. Maybe I was, I was four years old or something. I was upstairs in my house and I had a, a bottle uh, in my hand. I basically tied a string to the bottle and like chucked it out of a window. And when she asked me what I wanted to do, what I was trying to do, and said I was, I was collecting movies or something. That sort of like set, it set the stage for a lot of this stuff. I realize I'm very sort of lucky to be in this position, but pretty early stage, I knew I wanted to be in science, in, in technology, like that, that side of the world. I mean, started off with like weird little experiments like that. Then I, I think Return to Legos, that was the next thing is, is a common story. What was the craziest thing you built in Legos? Oh, dude, all sorts of stuff. I built the biggest Lego sets that are around. The Taj Mahal, I did yeah. a while ago. <laughs> yeah, was... How long would something like that take? Oh, my God. Yeah, back then it took weeks. Yeah, it took weeks. It went from that, and then it was like taking stuff apart. So taking apart toys, taking apart household appliances, trying to get a feel for how all of it worked. And then slowly transitioned into like trying to build my own stuff. Initially, extremely unsuccessfully when I was really young, you know, eight or so. I remember I, I built some hovercrafts early and it just, you know, the projects, they just sort of scale up. So that's how I got started. The first really big engineering project I, I took on was my, uh, my fusion reactor project. Can you expand on that? <laughs> yeah. So I, I ended up building a, an inertial electrostatic confinement nuclear fusion reactor in my garage. Isn't that pretty young? Maybe I was, I was 12 or something. And yeah, it was super cool. It did uh, like deuterium, deuterium fusion uh, in high vacuum chamber, like 40,000 volts potential between accelerator grids. Yeah, it was, it was really fun. Did you do any cold fusion stuff? <laughs> no cold fusion. Pretty hot. Pretty hot. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, yeah, we. I really did it. I proved it was silver activation. We don't have to get into the details, but yeah, I was making neutrons and made this awesome discharge in the actual reaction chamber. It's like brilliant, like red, purple. Yeah, it was an awesome project. So how'd you learn that? 
you had to have a good science back. Was it YouTube, textbooks, mentors? It's amazing how how much stuff is actually on YouTube. YouTube 100% contributed to me being able to successfully execute that project. There's also this forum, Fuser.net or something. Okay. That helped a lot too. So it's a group of hobbyists who go and, and do this sort of thing. They'll like, like literally garage fusion reactors. They were extremely helpful. So there's documentation, some papers to a red early on and just trial and error, right? Like the, the first, the first iterations of the reactor did not work. And it, it took a while to, to get it to a place where like it was, it was definitely accomplishing people. Yeah, maybe about a year. From the initial reactor assembly, when I thought the project was done, it took at least another year to actually do it. So you've had some interesting internships. Like you did McLaren, Tesla, DJI. Could you expand on that? And starting with McLaren? Yeah, those are really fun. I'll tell you, it was really, it was the reactor that allowed me to get started with any of that stuff. McLaren was the first internship I did. And I, I got that sort of back to like the cold calling thing. I, I literally called the CEO of McLaren maybe 10 or 15 times, maybe, maybe even more than that. And which was actually kind of hard because the time difference is so large between like Las Vegas and Woking, uh, which is outside of London, which is where they're based. So I'd, I'd say up to like two in the morning or something. Um, <laughs> and and how, you, what, you were like 15? I was a little younger, actually. Yeah, I was a little younger when I did that. I never got through to the CEO, whose name is Mike Fluid, but I did get through to one of his uh, PAs. She just took pity on me eventually, maybe after like the fifth or something call. And yeah, she, she called some people and she, she sort of set me up. But uh, yeah, that was, that was the first internship. And it was, it was an incredible time. I just, I adore the company a lot. And their facility was incredible. Yeah, I've seen some McLaren facilities. It's just like, wow, isn't it doesn't even feel like it's a car shop. It looks like the Starship Enterprise. Yeah, they, yeah. They, it is insane. Okay. So the next one you did was Tesla. How'd that happen? And what'd you learn there? That was a lot easier than McLaren. I mean, that's one thing maybe I can share that I've, I've learned. You reach a point where you have like a critical mass of, of cool stuff you've done, where it, it becomes a lot easier to get future opportunities. And I'd say McLaren was very hard to get. And then Tesla was fairly easy to get. And then the DJI internship basically just fell in my lap. Um, I, I didn't work for that one much. I actually had a neighbor whose daughter just got hired at Tesla. We randomly bumped into each other, talked a little bit about her job, and then uh, she, she offered to connect me to recruit. So yeah, that one, that one surprisingly easy. I'd say from my, my first call with the recruiter to me, like, flying out to Palo Alto for the internship, that was maybe like a week and a half. So wow. a really fast internship, um, like application process. And then, yeah, did, did that. So I worked on controls engineering and a little bit of battery tech while I was over there. And the DJI, how'd that happen? DJI, it was sort of, it was another one of these like in-network connection type deals. Finished up Tesla. And then my boss... Uh, was close friends with like the VP in charge of engineering over at DJI, which again, it's, it's the world's largest drone company for anyone who doesn't know. Basically, once the internship finished, she's like, Hey, I know this cool person I'd like to introduce you to. I got the intro. We had a call and I, I think I was actually offered the internship on, on that call. What important things did you take out from these internships 
that you're using today and are along your journey? I can say definitively McLaren was, was by far most helpful. I think what actually made me into an engineer. Because before that, like, I don't know, I would design things, but there wasn't a super rigorous engineering process that would happen. Like maybe I drafted in CAD or something, but then like you don't analyze the parts, you know, like I, at least initially I didn't analyze the parts. Just this looks right. And then you, you prototype it and you see if it worked. And that, that isn't quite engineering. At McLaren, what I'd say the biggest thing I learned is just all, all the simulation work and all the justification and all the additional thought you sort of have to give when you're, you're pursuing an engineering project. Just that structure was really pretty critical, I think. McLaren was hugely helpful in that way. When I was at Tesla, I, I actually I made a, a pretty serious go at like like befriending Elon Musk, like to, to the extent I could, right? As, Did you cold call him? As an intern. <laughs> so I, I, I almost, almost. And so yeah, the, the thing the thing with Elon is like this is like a quote from Billions or something, but but people like him, they're like they're like aircraft carriers, right? I mean, like you see him walking around the office, which I did pretty often actually when I was in Palo Alto. It's never just him. It's like him and then a couple of bodyguards and then like literally a dozen people from the company just like surrounding him. It's very hard to actually interact with someone like that at all, especially if you're like a freaking intern at, at yeah. one of his companies, one of like seven or something too, I'll point out. He eluded me a little bit. I did get to like, wave to him, like shake his hand. I never had a serious conversation. But who I did get to was some of his other like senior executives. So like the now VP in charge of engineering, um, I, I did get to spend a little time with VP of R&D. I spent some time with Wallace, those, those sorts of people. Yeah, those interactions were very interesting as well. Being executives at like such, such a huge publicly traded company, it just, it, it is a different world. So that was super interesting exposure that's sort of about the tesla thing and and dji I, so i was working in palo alto there too their headquarters is in shenzhen china so so pretty far away that's where they do most of their engineering i worked in like their sort of their advanced r&d office which is what's in palo alto that was okay i learned some but not not as much as the prior two internships where'd you get the idea of cold calling you know that's not something common nowadays for someone young where did this idea happen? You know, I, I, it's, it was really my dad. Being perfectly honest, it was really my dad. I don't know. Growing up, I always seen him get to like interesting people, kind of wherever he wanted to, doing this sort of thing, and also to different fields. I mean, even if, even if it was something stupid, like having a bad experience at a hotel or something, and then talking like the CEO of a hotel chain. That's a stupid example, but that that sort of thing. So yeah, from a pretty re- early age, you realize like this might be effective. <laughs> And after I tried it a couple of times and had, had good experiences, I just kept on doing it. When you called McLaren, did you have any idea what would happen? Like, did you have a goal? Like, was it to get a McLaren? I, I wanted the internship. I mean, that was the goal. Like, to, to get my ass in Woking, right? I was pretty clear about that. I, I wanted an internship. Yeah, I mean, the first couple of times, I just got hung up on it. Right? I mean, keep calling, eventually, just you get lucky, you know? You're obviously made a lot of progress in your company, and the future is actually bright for this industry. Regulation takes some time. What are some other areas that you're considering? Some other industries? No, just other areas, applications of drones. 
like scenarios? I think there are really a lot up until this point, right? So the whole thing started with like RC planes, like model aircraft, right? Which were cool and I mean fun for people, but they didn't they didn't have sort of serious uses beyond just being a fun hobby. And of course the military stuff, but we'll we'll, we'll stay away from that for now. And then DJI and a couple other companies came on the scene. They started marketing like uh, camera drones for home videography, right? That really did change the game quite a bit. Because before that, your option, if you wanted like aerial shots, was a helicopter, which would be, who knows? I mean, $5,000 per flight hour or something. So if you're an independent filmmaker, like you, you have absolutely no chance of getting aerial shots done. But now you go and you drop like, a grand on a DJI drone, and you can get these killer shots. I mean, for for tens, hundreds of times, maybe even thousands of times less money than conventional solutions. So that's what really kickstarted the drone industry. And there's a big market for that. Like there are definitely dozens of billions of dollars a year just in like consumer, like individual drones for videography, which is fine. But it's my opinion that there's probably $100 billion industries for these aircraft targeting more commercial, industrial uses. So, I mean, package delivery is a huge one that Amazon and Google and others are pursuing. That'll be a gargantuan industry. Others are doing a similar thing, but for transporting organs, biological samples, blood, vaccines, that's probably going to be a pretty serious industry. I think the, the security aspect, which is sort of what, what we're in to an extent, that'll be massive for big perimeter security around countries or military bases or data centers or, or anywhere that needs security, right? I think there's, there's tremendous opportunity for public safety in general to these drones. So fire departments, emergency medical folks, federal agencies that have to conduct you know, search warrants, all of that stuff. It's, it's going to be a humongous part of it. This is sort of a less sexy one, but uh, like inspection. I mean, we're, we're building these humongous solar power farms now, and they're, they're so huge. It's, it's very challenging for an individual to actually inspect the towns. But having a drone sitting in a box, like ready to go, to fly over all them with a thermal camera and tell you which ones are effective, I think all of those sectors are going to be really probably quite important to the future. What do you think are some of the issues in the industry that sort of prevent, other than regulation, right? But what are some other issues in terms of like battery, technology, fragile? It helped maybe you talk about the specific use case because some, some have different problems than others. I mean, we can use like package delivery, for example. I don't think battery is actually that bad. If you look at the physics of drones, for the most part, the bigger you make them, the longer the flight time you'll get. So if you just make like a, a medium to large size drone, you'll have hours of flight time and it won't be too much of a challenge. You can, you can haul around boxes. I think one major challenge is just public perception. Like everyone's worried that it's big brother up there trying to spy on you while you're in your shower or something. That's a serious issue. I think noise is a problem too. I mean, if you imagine a future where you have like thousands of these things buzzing over your head at any given moment, like that'll be pretty annoying, most likely. I think if there's a fair, fair concern about like AI and like 
object detection, recognition, avoidance, like that whole world. Because again, if you have like tens of thousands of these things operating every day, what happens if a bird flies in its way? Or what happens if a small aircraft, a Cessna or something's at low altitude, you can manage that. Airspace and I mean, more, more than anything, it's, it is probably the regulations, but all of those things will be now, what are the biggest challenges that you face specifically with your company? One thing is just building a hardware company is pretty pretty challenging. If I mess something up, like a drone could explode, right? Or crash into a wall at 80 miles an hour or something, destroy twenty, thirty thousand dollars worth of equipment. I mean, one wrong line of code, and like you can you can obliterate a twenty thousand dollar drone. Uh, whereas with like software, software development stuff. You make a mistake, like control Z. There's not a massive penalty to making those sort of, sort of mistakes in early development. Actually designing and, and building and being able to create something that's actually scalable that you can sell like 10,000 of in a year, especially in America where we don't have a lot of the hardware infrastructure that like China does now. Yeah, that's been hard. What are some mistakes you made along the way? Oh, dude, I've made countless, <laughs> countless mistakes. It's hard to even start with that, to be perfectly honest. Which one sticks with you? In every sector. <laughs> every sector. I mean, from stupid stuff to, to hiring the wrong people to spending too much time on projects that, that didn't really have a massive chance of success. Just like social faux pas like along the way. I mean, all, all of it have been, yeah, definitely mistakes. As far as the really bad ones, I'd say probably the entire wall of drones concept was something that we shouldn't have started with. In hindsight, I think that's probably a fair statement. We probably should have initially focused on something that was a little smaller in technical scope and easier to sell. I mean, we really did sort of have to get to the president of the United States to sell that. And that's a hard cold call. It is. That <laughs> is a hard cold call. Damn right. And we we actually got surprisingly close. But I mean, it's just it's just such a challenging project in in, in every aspect. I, I should have been able to identify that like that's the sort of project we should try is like maybe the third product we come out with as a company, not the first. Yeah. If you want an example of, of one mistake, I'd say trying trying to pursue that project initially as opposed to something smaller that we could then expand into that larger system, probably not a great city. What would you say, outside of cold call, what were some things that you did right? Like, this was like, yes, I was so right on this. Definitely one really big example. And this was a learning too from, from the Wall of Drones thing. You really have to talk to your customers if you're building a product, especially a complicated technical product. Really, really need to talk to your customers. And I suggest before you, you even initially start designing something, you, you talk to them. And here's what will happen if you follow that advice. Number one, you'll end up with something that your, your customers actually want to buy, like badly, because again, it's designed their specification. That's absolutely critical. And number two, those early teams that you start forming these relationships with or early organizations outside of law enforcement, they'll become your first customers. And getting your first customers can be really, really hard. It can be excruciating. Having that easy inroads where like your, your first interaction with the customer isn't, hey, here's this thing. 
like let me try and sell it to you. But instead, like here's this cool idea. What do you think about this? It's a lot easier to get people to listen to you and have conversations when you're not immediately trying to sell. And in a lot of cases, people like brainstorming about cool, cool concepts. So that's a critical thing I would recommend. If you if you want to sell a product to specific group of people, talk to them before you start designing it. Keep in touch with them as you're designing it. Solicit feedback constantly through the development process. And at the end, make them your first customers. So you actually have a chance of selling, you know, the next 50 or 100 organizations or individuals. Was there any customer feedback that really stood out to you? I mean, tons. Yeah, we, we got all sorts of stuff wrong. The early Lemur drone prototype, that, that's what the SWAT drone is called, uh, by the way. Early on in this, like, we didn't think the drone needed uh, ducks. We thought we just blades would be fine, which is insane. This stuff, this crashes into shit constantly on, on columns. Absolutely constantly. So that was totally wrong. Another thing, we didn't realize how dark a lot of SWAT callouts are. Most callouts happen in like almost zero light conditions, at least in parts of these structures. So we set up like a normal camera on the first prototype that we built, and we couldn't see anything when we actually started going on these missions. So we had we had totally re-engineered that. We didn't start with an encrypted video system. Like the early, the early video system, you're just normal. You just, you just log into it. You had analog video receiver. So all, all sorts of stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, your, your customers will tell you where you're messing up. They'll, they'll point out, you know, this needs to be improved, that needs to be improved. And it's, it's easy to be defensive, especially if you're the one designing it. And it's like, fine, but I kind of like what I built. But ultimately in these sorts of situations, like your, your customers usually know better than you. And yeah, it'd be prudent advice to, to follow what they had to say. Who was your first customer? First customer was uh, Las Vegas Metro SWAT. Kind of full circle from, from October 1, since that was the SWAT team that, that responded to that event. So uh, yeah, October 1 is why we started this project, and uh, their, their team was the first customer. If you weren't in the drone space, what space would you feel like you would be in? What other spaces really excite you? That's a great question. I find pretty much anything technical really pretty much across the board. I'd say biotech is really interesting. That would be a, a fascinating field to go into. Just biology generally, biotechnology, especially like molecular biology. Uh, I think that would be really a nifty field. Building nanobots or something and swim around in your bloodstream. That would be a fun project. Yeah. Any other areas? I mean, maybe, maybe a little less technical is... Um, I just love movies. Like, I think making a movie someday would probably be a, a really good time. Yeah, maybe um, some minor interest in politics, maybe something along those lines someday. For the time being, I'm, I'm pretty happy to be learning. What are you still sort of improving on, even personally or professionally? With the company, I think, I think the big thing is, is, again, just like scaling. If you, have, you really have to build infrastructure in order to scale hardware businesses. And it's, it's very diverse. Like, you have to hire people to, to do manufacturing. You have to build factories. You have to do advertising. You need sales teams. You have to do outbound sales. You have to do servicing. You have to do demos, media, publicity, fundraising, hiring. Like, it's sort of like you're surrounded by fire. And you, you have like one hose that you can only point in one place at a time as a CEO. But all of the fire is sort of encroaching on you simultaneously. 
So it's just like where do you point your hose of like personal attention in order to best advance your company? And just just figuring out how to how to spend my time has been challenging, and figuring out how to put all these structures in place so I don't have to micromanage every aspect of the business and can focus on things that I personally really have to do. That's what's been challenging now. How do you sort of get better at that with time? Like, did you read books, mentors, or just trial and error? I'm, I'm definitely still not great at it. I think I'm better than I was, but there's, there's certainly room for improvement. I think this is probably one of those things that you just have to do. You need to get on the ground. If you really can't get the idea of the company out of your head, you should just pursue the company. Best case scenario, you, you end up with you know a lifelong career doing something you love and make a billion dollars, right? And worst case scenario, like you just you just learn a lot, which ultimately is not so bad. That'd be my suggestion. If, if you're dealing with that, just do it and you'll get better. Now, do you ever feel insecure about not having a college degree? Has there ever been a situation where it's like, oh, this young 20-year-old dropout? Or does it work in your favor because of the experience you have and what you're doing? You know, it's a really good question. It's hard for me to say definitively what the answer is because people don't always tell you straight to your face. You don't have these uh, credentials. So like, I don't want to talk to you or I don't want to work with you or whatever. I think someone actually indicating that my lack of college degree was a problem. That only happened once to my face which was about a year ago now from a prospective investor. That was the only instance, though. And I've talked to some crazy people, senators, multi-multi-billionaires of you know, publicly traded companies, freaking like generals. What I'm trying to make is I always figured in the Valley I would do okay because there's this big narrative of dropouts founding successful companies. So I thought Silicon Valley, like, I'm going to be fine. But I venture out into the wider world. I talk, start talking to more like establishment figures, like like a general or something in the Marine Corps. I won't get taken seriously. Turns out that isn't really true. I think not having a college degree, if you do have other things to back you up, other things to prove that you're real, not such a big deal. You can you can pretty much get over it. Do you mind sharing the the story of the investor? I've known these people for a pretty long time. They were a couple, both doctors, actually, both doctors. We approached them with a mutual connection, asking if they'd like to participate in, in a fundraising round. We went through the demo, like we, we talked through the whole thing. They seemed fairly interested. The wife of the couple mentioned that me not having a college degree was, I can't remember her exact phrasing, not concerning, but like a negative. She indicated that it was a negative. And yeah, ultimately they decided not, not to participate in the round. So you probably do lose something if, if you don't have one of these degrees in certain specific scenarios. With that being said, I would say that represents such a minority of cases that it shouldn't be something that makes or breaks your decision to drop out. Like I said, in my case, I've had meetings with Hundreds, if not thousands of people at, at that level, sort of as, you know, an investor, partner, customer, whatever. And me, me lacking having a college degree literally did only come up once. So probably not a huge deal with the caveat. If you don't have the degree, um, you do need other things to prove that you're real. 
So in my case, that was really hard engineering projects and internships and that whole world. In your case, it might be different, but I, I think you still do need something to prove that you're just not some kid, you know, showing up in your office. No, thank you for sharing that story and giving that good advice. How has the drone industry changed over time? Because new industries, I think of five years ago, it's like drones that were so expensive. Now they're like drones that are a couple hundred bucks and, and so many more videos, the technology, the battery life and all that. How has it changed in front of you? And what kind of changes do you see in the next few years? This is one of those industries where like in, in just three months, it can actually be pretty radically different. So it's super fast iteration. Products come in and out of market very quickly. New technologies, new capabilities come in and out of market very quickly. There's just constant improvement of everything. Light times go up, uh, prices go down, capabilities increase, counter resolution improves, Thomas flight features get better. I mean, everything is just it's getting better pretty fast, pretty fast. That's definitely changing pretty fast. And I, I think, I think where all this is going is like I said, to those sorts of industrial use cases that are moving a little bit away from just the normal drone consumer and focusing a little bit more seriously on large-scale industry, commerce, military, public safety, all of that. That's that's where I think there's really growth opportunity. So let's start to wrap up. Any sort of final words to someone who's sort of interested in this space or who's doing interesting science projects or someone who's looking to cold call the CEO of McLaren, what are some final words, final thoughts from you? I think it is quite a hard path to take to try to be a technology entrepreneur, especially if you're building a hardware product that's facing government. Like that really is a nasty combination. Like drop a founder with not a lot of money building hardware product to go after government customers. That's a hard road. With that being said, it is incredibly rewarding. It is incredibly, incredibly rewarding work, especially in my case where I, I get to, to hear about the outcomes of like SWAT callouts where who knows, maybe, maybe we prevented a shooting like that. If you have a high pain tolerance and are, are really driven to pursue an idea that just won't get out of your head, then I'd recommend it. But Quite frankly, even if I didn't recommend it and, uh, you know, you checked off all those other boxes, you'd, you'd probably pursue the idea. If it's something that just sort of kind of in your head and like you want to work a normal nine to five life under no circumstances do it because it's just going to absorb all of your time and money and just leave you in tears. So uh, yeah, that sort of, I guess those are my, my general closing thoughts. What was a rewarding moment that really stood out? Like, you know, you've had a career. What was something that you kind of look back and that moment is just like really stands out for you? Okay. So we've had some really cool meetings. Uh, we, for, for the, um, the wall of drones project, I, I probably shouldn't name names, but we, we met with some people from the executive branch of government. We'll just say that who like are, are very, very high ranking. Those meetings were a lot of fun just to, to sort of be taken seriously. I was, I was younger then too. Like as an 18 year old, like walking into some of the places I've walked into and be, be taken seriously. That, yeah, those are really rewarding moments. And I guess the other category is just whenever a SWAT call out goes really well and I hear about it, that, that feels extremely good. Just knowing that we built a technology that 
maybe saved someone from being hurt that day. Those have been the the absolute highlights of this project so far. Okay, cool. How would someone get in touch with you? Yeah, well, LinkedIn, honestly, LinkedIn is a good choice. Uh, just look at my name. You can uh, message me or connect or whatever. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to chat. Do you get cold calls? And how do you respond? Yeah, sometimes. Um, I get a lot of cold emails now. Yeah, okay. so cold emails are pretty common. One thing I'm, I'm actually kind of, kind of proud of, we have the Department of Homeland Security uh, just like cold email us. I mean, obviously, we work with them a little bit on the wall of drones, but it was it was a totally different group in in Homeland Security. So it's definitely happening. I would say every day we get we get several SWAT teams or like tactical groups of various types, or honestly, even even fire departments too. Uh, multiple multiple of those people reach out to me. Yeah, we try to meet with them and show up attack. All right, thank you for your time, Blake. It was wonderful hearing your story. I know the listeners will get a lot of value. Connect with him on LinkedIn. If you're lucky, call, call him. Do what you can. And thank you so much for sharing experience. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show's worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and we'll go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com. Yeah, so you got no degree, no problem, no problem. any problem, we can solve them. We got this. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, growing and knowing, wisdom is flowing, if you didn't know, now you know where I'm going, if you didn't know, now you know, let's sing that again everybody, no degree, no problem, any problem we can solve them, LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, we're growing and knowing, the wisdom is flowing, if you didn't know, now you know where I'm going, no degree, no problem, any problem we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.